I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. You're headed to the range? Well, ride like the wind. Time is running out. Godspeed. It's high noon for Monday, December 6th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 320th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You thought you had all the knowledge, and of course, knowledge is power, so you thought you had all the power. But now the cracks are beginning to show, and you are experiencing some doubt about your level of knowledge and power as you go out into the world and realize that nearly everyone has more knowledge than you about all the things that are actually important And your ability to exercise social power to silence them is completely fading. And you have conversations where people around you actually agree with the no-no person. And you find yourself thinking, wait a second, what? How do you guys find out all these things? How do you know any of that is true? And then they give you all sorts of sources that say all sorts of different things that you have just simply never heard of. And it turns out they're able to talk intelligently about those things. And they're able to explain why you've never heard of them. And of course, you know why you've never heard of them. It's because you didn't care to look. You decided that everybody saying the different thing must be stupid or crazy. And so you just went back in your bubble, you assembled your pod, and all of you convinced one another that even though none of you could really explain what anyone was talking about, you surely must be right because you all agree. And eventually, when too many of the important questions remained unanswered by the very, very smart and very, very serious people in your little COVID pod of maskies and vaxies and other brands of communist, you decided that despite the fact you couldn't talk intelligently about any of the subjects at hand and could never reach a correct and consistent position on anything. Well, the truth is there are enough experts out there agreeing with you 
that you probably don't have to worry about it. It's probably not wrong. Somebody out there must understand it. And so you're just going to keep repeating the slogans and ultimately you will hope for the best. And I had one of these conversations over the weekend with decent people. I wasn't upset to have the conversation. They were open-minded, but sadly, they were completely clueless about the most basic facts about our world as it exists now, primarily concerning the coronavirus and the vaccines. And one of the refrains was, how did the entire world do this thing at the same time? Is everyone just in on it? And the answer is, in one way or another, yeah, except for all of the thousands and thousands of experts who have been saying the opposite thing from the accepted central narrative the entire time, who were then systematically censored and silenced. But that doesn't seem wrong to you because what they were doing is spreading misinformation. And so censoring and silencing them was just the sensible conclusion. I mean, public health was so important. To not be able to tell a singular story that existed beyond the realm of questioning meant to endanger public health in the time of a very deadly pandemic. So deadly that the pandemic has the potential to kill one out of every 1,000 people who become infected with it. And of course, almost all of them are over 70 with multiple significant comorbidities and almost everyone under 70 who dies with COVID died from something else or from medical malpractice, which used to be up until last year. One of the leading causes of death in the United States. Not that they talk about it. I bet last year, though, there was very, very little death due to medical malpractice. And why would there be when you can just simply label each death as probable COVID or give them a test with a 90 plus percent false positive rate? And then they're definitely dying from COVID. But there's no way the public health community would allow that. There's no way that doctors and nurses in hospitals would simply follow the rules of those same public health officials and do things wrong, even though it exacerbates every single problem that derives from the pandemic or what we call the pandemic. Now, it is strange, at least to me, to be confronted with real, legitimate, provable information. That what we are calling a vaccine, though not a vaccine in any way, simply does not save the lives of virtually anyone. And how could it? It doesn't prevent infection, transmission, serious illness or death. And that's obvious. That's proven. That's admitted by the public health officials that initially told you all of those things would be saved by the virus. And you're told that this actually happens to be the most deadly and dangerous vaccine that the nation has ever seen. But no one's told you about that. So you don't know and you don't care. And you tell everybody else, go out and get the vaccine. It'll work. Yeah, I'll get the booster. It's the right thing to do. I have to protect my community, even though the vaccine does not protect anyone from anything. And that's exactly obvious. 
And some people will feign thoughtful consideration of all these new points and new facts and new resources. But most of them will go home the next day and they will get on Google and they will put in all these very dangerous claims and they will find fact checks and those fact checks will tell them, yes, well, you know, there is some information indicating that, but really these are baseless claims and there is no evidence that anyone could have ever done anything this bad, not to you. Not to you, you're a good citizen who follows all the rules and repeats all the slogans. And these people, they would never do anything to harm you. The point is harming the other people. And that's why we put all these other policies in place to prevent them from having jobs and being able to go to the grocery store, being able to take their children to school each day so they can go to work. They would never harm you, though. And eventually, what these people will say at the end, when they are through with the denials and everything else, and they don't think they might win the conversation by calling you a racist or a sexist or a conspiracy theorist, well, at that point, they're just going to say, well, you know, I've been fine up until now, and I, you know, I guess we're just going to have to hope for the best. Oh, really? Very smart, very serious person. That is your strategy? That's your grand strategy for life? This situation feels too important not to trust the authorities. It's too important to try to figure out the answer for myself. And the truth is, it's all too complicated for me to figure out anyway. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I could never understand all of these things, like how masks don't work and there's no proof of them working anywhere. I couldn't understand that because I'm not a scientist. And so I'm going to play it safe by wearing the mask that doesn't do anything but harm me. And I'm also going to convince other people to do it too. And I'm going to tell them that they have to do it out of respect. And there's no danger whatsoever in inculcating a weakness ethic. So I'm just going to stick to my position and hope for the best. I can't just take your word for it. You haven't done the work I have. And by work, I mean I look at the headlines on my Apple News notifications every day. And that's how I know that very reliable sources on both sides are telling me the truth. They couldn't all be lying. They couldn't all be trying to fool me. And they would never write headlines that obscured what was in the article. They wouldn't do it to me. And I mean, if they did, it's probably just a little bit. So uh, I'm just going to hope for the best. Well, hey, good luck with that, Kami. Now, if you're the sort of person who is getting a little sick of that idea, that you should remain in ignorance. You're not smart enough to figure this stuff out, but you're smarter than everyone else who tries to, that's for sure. Maybe that's not working for you anymore. Maybe hoping for the best is something that no longer seems like a very smart and productive strategy for life. And if that's the case, it's real simple. All you have to do is push aside all of those stupid and evil communist ideas. Just let go. Okay, sooner or later, your ego 
in as much as it is connected to all of this nonsense and bullshit and propaganda is going to get crushed by reality, whether you like it or not. Everything you hold on to for the sake of your ego, despite the fact that it is the polar opposite of the truth, everything you are holding on to to preserve that will be taken from you either way. You have to understand that by now. You are not in the club. You are not on their team. They are only coming for you last because you, my friend, are a useful idiot. So let go. Come on back to America. Just migrate back. You simply need to make amends with all of the people you have shamed and bullied and slandered and censored and tried to get fired from their jobs. And we will accept you with open arms because we want more Americans involved in the American project of human liberty and self-governance. So let go and migrate back to America. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Monday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're finally here. We're going to go on a little adventure together. But at the end of that adventure, you're going to be American again. And that's a good thing for you. Because the other side, <laughs> they're not going to meet a happy end. Now, before we get into the rest of it, I have to talk about one of the most insane displays I have ever seen. Honestly, one of the nuttiest attempts at propaganda any of us could ever witness happened on Saturday when a group of idiots was driven down to the Capitol in the back of U-Haul box trucks and they all got out and they marched and they were wearing khaki pants and blue crew neck sweatshirts and work boots. And they had their faces fully covered. They wore white neck gaiters that covered most of their face. They wore dark sunglasses and hats so that no one could identify them. They were all very, very secret and they called themselves the Patriot Front. That's right. There is a new hate group that no one has ever heard of before now. And if you go to their Wikipedia, you can find a whole four reference entries. They apparently grew out of the very fine people Charlottesville incident. And now they want to wash over the country in a wave of white nationalism. And we know that they have to be on the right because the right, the Republicans, the Trump people, those are the people who really care about white nationalism and not the people that voted for a man who was mentored by a Klansman in order to solve racism and not the people that continue burning and looting cities and making them unlivable. And they tell you it's for racial justice. It's not those people who are embracing white nationalism. It's not those people, those people involved with the onset of the global order. 
the people who are firmly for a depopulation agenda, those people would never embrace a project like white nationalism, especially not with the very real white nationalists in the Patriot Front. They carried flags that looked like American flags, but no, they weren't American flags. They were a different kind of flag, just dressed up to look like that. Very patriotic they are. And that's how you know patriots is they're carrying flags that aren't American flags. And they cover their faces, particularly with masks, to protect them from a disease they're not scared of at all. That's what patriots do. It is so comical. It is so obviously funded and organized. It is so obviously a setup operation. I doubt anyone is going to believe this, thankfully. That doesn't mean the left isn't going to try to exploit it, and that's why I mention it. But this is utterly ridiculous. They already tried this in Virginia right before the Glenn Youngkin thing. They had a group of five Democrats come down and pretend to be the Charlottesville people with the torches in their hand. And this is all they have left. They are trying to convince the American public that there is a new hate group on the rise and it's on the right and it must be MAGA people. They call themselves Patriot Front and everybody knows no one on the left is a patriot. Duh. And yeah, it's funny because it's true. Literally, no one on the left would ever use the word patriot, so it must be the MAGA people. These people actually believe that, and they don't see the fact that they are admitting that they are, in fact, extraordinarily unpatriotic. Now, the Patriot Front has nothing to do with any group on the right, any MAGA group whatsoever, and absolutely zero Trump supporters would ever support that bullshit. But of course... They're going to all riot eventually, and they have to have a justification for it. So what they need to do is create a new enemy that will justify all of their terrible behavior. This is a new uh, Proud Boys, a new Oath Keepers, a new Three Percenters. They are almost 100% definitely involved with the feds. There is no way that can't be true. And if you have a hard time believing that, I would suggest you actually do some research into the groups and the unindicted co-conspirators in January 6th. Take a look at the fake Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping. These are feds in league with the sort of people who are easily painted as extremists and also easily swayed by operations like this. There is no mass movement on the Trump side that is looking to start little groups or start any violence, particularly not on the basis of something as ridiculous as race. That is for the communists. That is what they do. That is what they've done. They spent all of 2020 doing it. All right. So hopefully I will never have to mention this absurd fake group again. But I guess we'll see how successful the media is in convincing all their little child brains in the audience that groups like this really are turning up on the right. Now, speaking of intentionally destabilizing urban environments, boom segue, let's go to the Daily Mail from Friday evening. 
George Soros's network of woke DAs he has bankrolled in cities across the U.S. How the billionaire Democrat megadonor gave Chicago's Kim Fox $2 million and Philly's DA, where murder has doubled, got $1.7 million. Billionaire Democrat donor George Soros has bankrolled district attorneys in America's most crime-ravaged cities, where criminals are being allowed to walk out of jail on low-cash bonds or aren't even being charged. Soros, the most prolific Democratic donor, is known for giving to Presidents Clinton and Obama, but he has also been pumping money into a far-left effort to overhaul the criminal justice system by giving millions to a network of woke prosecutors in Democratic races. Among them is Kim Fox, the state's attorney for Cook County, Chicago, where murder is at its highest in nearly 30 years. And they've also been killing it on hate crime hoaxes. In 2020, Soros donated $2 million to a PAC that backed Fox in her reelection campaign. She won the race and has since offered deferred prosecutions and softball deals to criminals. In 2021, there were more murders in Chicago than in any other year since 1994. There have been more than a thousand murders in Cook County, Fox's district this year. Soros bolstered her reelection campaign by donating to the Illinois Justice and Public Safety PAC. The PAC spent over $500,000 on materials to damage one of her challengers. It's a pattern that can be seen in other parts of the country. He has also donated to PACs that support Los Angeles District Attorney George Gascon, who is widely being condemned for not cracking down on shoplifters and violent criminals. Soros has also donated to the campaign of Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. He has donated $1.7 million to Krasner's campaign, according to the New York Post. Soros also donated to super PACs that prop up Democratic prosecutors and politicians across Republican states. Republican pundits say he has blood on his hands now for the deaths of innocent people, like those killed at the Waukesha Christmas Parade by Daryl Brooks, a career criminal who had been bonded out of jail days earlier for other crimes. In 2016, Soros pumped $3 million into several local district attorney campaigns, including races in Louisiana, Mississippi, New Mexico, and Texas. And the article profiles Krasner and mentions a few others. But again, this is how we get the infiltration that goes countrywide. And when people pretend that somehow criticizing George Soros is anti-Semitic, even though, even though as a young boy, he helped load Hungarian Jews onto the trains headed for concentration camps. And I'm not making that up, by the way. He admits it in an interview on 60 Minutes that you can find in the info stream, t.me slash I'm your moderator, by simply going to the search feature and typing in Soros 60 Minutes. That is just an attempt to make people stop criticizing George Soros for what George Soros really does. Also, it is not a conspiracy theory to talk about what this person actually does and actually funds. The program has always been to start seizing local offices and then expand throughout these states. That is how the states turn blue. They continue to put people in power so that those people can exercise corrupt power in opposition to the laws as passed and written. Over time, with that same process repeating in election after election and becoming stolen election after stolen election, it's actually pretty easy over the course of a couple of decades to put your people in everywhere so that, for instance, 
When you want a crime wave to get people to leave cities so that the property values drop and then global investment firms can buy them up, well, you just put your people in who don't prosecute crime. Or if you'd like to steal elections, you put a bunch of district attorneys in there. You put a bunch of attorneys general in there. You put a bunch of secretaries of state in there. And then, like Paul Penzone in Maricopa County, you even put a few sheriffs in there. And once you do that, there's no one to enforce the law. So everybody can pretty much just break it however they want. And the media will cover for them. The media will tell all the people this is actually the right thing. And, you know, even if there are some problems or irregularities here, they wouldn't have changed the election. And even if they would have, the truth is we're all just so much better off without Donald Trump around. The truth is, it is not hard to see how systems like this are employed to tear nations apart. And that is exactly what this system is doing. Will it work? Of course not. Because we are awake now. The people are awake now. And the people will handle this. Might not be pretty all the time. Might be really frustrating. I know we all want it to go faster. But still, we will win. Now, speaking of countries that George Soros has tried to tear down, let's go to one of my favorite places, Myanmar. This is the Associated Press today. Grant Peck, Myanmar's Su Kyi convicted in further blow to democracy. <laughs> AP just shitting itself in public. Aung San Suu Kyi, the civilian leader of Myanmar who was ousted in a de facto coup this year, was convicted on two charges Monday and handed a four-year sentence that was quickly cut in half in proceedings widely criticized as a further effort by the country's military rulers to roll back the democratic gains of recent years. Oh, no. The verdict on charges of incitement and violating coronavirus restrictions serves to cement a dramatic reversal of fortunes for the Nobel Peace Laureate who spent 15 years under house arrest for resisting the Southeast Asian nation's generals, but then agreed to work alongside them when they promised to usher in democratic rule. The case is only the first in a series brought against the 76-year-old Su Kyi since her arrest on February 1st, the day the army seized power claiming massive voting fraud in last year's election. Su Kyi's National League for Democracy Party won that vote in a landslide, and independent election observers did not detect any major irregularities. <laughs> Just like here. <laughs> Thank goodness we have independent election observers. Just as the takeover has been met with fierce resistance, so too was the verdict including a spirited protest in the central city of Mandalay, where demonstrators chanted slogans and sang songs popularized during pro-democracy protests in 1988. And you know that's super authentic. Because for sure, it's all the same protesters who were also protesting 33 years ago, except come on. <laughs> no, it's not. They get taught those songs so that the media can draw parallels that don't actually exist in reality. And they do that here, too. I know it's shocking. They also took to social media, which has been an important arena for resistance to the military. Patu Ko, a medical doctor and popular travel blogger who is also an activist, wrote, 
They have expended their maximum effort in carrying out evil. The people will be free only if we win the revolution. So work harder for the revolution. (laughs) And you know that's serious coming from a travel blogger. The cases against Suu Kyi are widely seen as contrived to discredit her and keep her from running in the next election. And many in the international community decried Monday's verdict as a farce. If found guilty of all the charges she faces, Suu Kyi could be sentenced to more than 100 years in prison. She is being held by the military at an unknown location, and state television reported that she would serve her sentence there. That sentence was reduced hours after it was handed down in what the report said was an amnesty ordered by the country's military leader, Senior General Min Ong Hlaing. I hope I'm saying that right, but I kind of think I'm not. Suki is widely revered at home for her role in the country's pro-democracy movement and was long viewed abroad as an icon of that struggle, epitomized by her 15 years under house arrest. And yes, she finally got out and joined forces with pro-democracy heroes, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros. But since her release in 2010, she has been heavily criticized for the gambles she made, showing deference to the military while ignoring and at times even defending rights violations, most notably a 2017 crackdown on Rohingya Muslims that rights groups have labeled genocide. While she has disputed allegations that army personnel killed Rohingya civilians, torched houses and raped women, and she remains immensely popular at home, that stance has tarnished her reputation abroad and... Let's just pause for a second. Imagine that this situation was mirrored in the United States. For instance, let's say that people allied with Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, and George Soros were said to have won an election in a massive landslide. But then, then, you know, people kind of realized that they didn't and... I got a call in the military eventually if you don't find another civilian way to handle things, which is what we're doing here. But they call in the military. How would the Associated Press describe a person like this nameless, faceless person that I am describing? Well, they might say that Joe Biden, the fake president of the United States of America, was widely popular. He was elected with the most votes of all time. They might say that. Two foreign countries and those foreign citizens would think, oh, yeah, how could they do that to someone so popular? How could they ever accuse someone so popular of having cheated in an election? That just doesn't seem right. He won in a landslide. There's no way someone could cheat that much. It's not possible to construct an entire system of cheating that spans nearly the entire country where all of these corrupt officials have been put into place specifically to allow the avoidance of written law. That could never happen. The incitement charge that Sue Kee faced centered on statements posted on her party's Facebook page after she and other party leaders were detained by the military. She was accused of spreading false or inflammatory information that could disturb public order. In addition, she faced a charge of violating coronavirus restrictions for her appearance at a campaign event ahead of the elections last year. Now, who cares about that last thing? But let's talk about this other thing, false or inflammatory information that could disturb public order. And recall, by the way, that their American allies in the person of fake Vice President 
Kamala Harris, who I suppose was the soon to be candidate for fake vice president at the time. Well, she wrote all sorts of tweets about getting out there in the streets and she publicized the Minnesota bail fund, the Minnesota Freedom Fund, I believe it was called, that helped allow those Soros criminals to be put back on the streets and it reaped all sorts of rewards. And good old Kamala was out there with all of the celebrities, the Chrissy Teigens of the world, telling everybody that giving your money to George Soros criminals and the communist Black Lives Matter organization was how you could pursue justice right from the comfort of your own home. Just put up a black square and give us your money. That's it. That's all we need from you. We don't need you to do another goddamn thing. And the thing what you definitely don't need to do is try to find out any possible information that would lead you to believe that what the communists are doing is wrong. Dr. Sasa, spokesperson for the National Unity Government, an opposition group that has declared itself the country's shadow administration, called the verdict a shameful day for the rule of law, justice and accountability in Myanmar and said it represented an effort to, quote, replace our dreams with military dictatorship forever. End quote. He uses only one name. Oh, like Madonna or The Rock. And note what's happening here, right? They are propping up, the media is propping up a so-called shadow government to try to say that these are the legitimate people. We're going to get rid of the military and we're going to replace them with these people. We are going to paint these people as freedom fighters this entire time, even though, even though they are in league with the same people who stole the election in Myanmar and stole it here and Peru and Belarus and hopefully for them, Brazil next year. This is the George Soros election apparatus commonly referred to by communists as our democracy. UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, calls the proceedings a, quote, sham trial, end quote, while Phil Robertson, Deputy Asia Director for Human Rights Watch, said it was just the beginning of a process that will most likely ensure that Sue Kyi is never allowed to be a free woman again. Well, that is fantastic. The United States joined others in calling for her release. The regime's continued disregard for the rule of law and its widespread use of violence against the Burmese people underscore the urgency of restoring Burma's path to democracy, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said in a statement using a former name for Myanmar. As is typical, China, a neighbor that has maintained friendly ties with Myanmar's military leaders, declined to criticize the verdict but urged all parties to work together to continue the democratic transition. So we have the fake administration coming out in favor of Suu Kyi and against the military that has deposed her for claiming victory in a fraudulent election. And then we have China unwilling to help the global communist order in putting Suu Kyi back in place. So the question becomes, is the global communist order in as much control as we are told they are. And I think we can see that despite whatever amount of control they have, they are unwilling to escalate in a situation much smaller than the situation here, by the way, but a mirror nonetheless. 
Suki's trials are closed to the media and spectators and her lawyers who had been a source of information on the proceedings were served with gag orders in October, forbidding them from releasing information. As a result, Monday's verdict was initially relayed to the Associated Press by a legal official who insisted on anonymity for fear of being punished by the authorities. Defense lawyers are expected to file appeals in the coming days for Sue Key and two colleagues who were also convicted Monday, the legal official said. They have argued that Sue Key and a co-defendant, former President Win Myint, could not be held responsible for the statements on which the incitement charge was based because they were already in detention. Win Myint's sentence was reduced along with Sue Key's. February's seizure of power was met by nonviolent nationwide demonstrations, which security forces quashed with deadly force. They have killed about 1,300 civilians, according to a detailed tally compiled by the Assistance Association for Political Prisoners. And you know that they're telling the truth, because if you go to their website, you can see it say very clearly that AAPP is widely recognized as a reliable and credible source of information on Burmese political prisoner issues by the United Nations, foreign governments, Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, and respected media outlets around the world. So it couldn't be propaganda. And they're definitely telling you the truth all the time. Peaceful protests have continued, but amid the severe crackdown on them, an armed resistance has also grown to the point that UN experts have warned the country is sliding into civil war. Monday's verdict could inflame tensions even further. It doesn't matter for the woman who doesn't need anything, but the fires will burn hotter and hotter for the one who wants everything. Zen Ki, a well-known actor, wrote on Facebook in reference to Su Ki and her military antagonists. And I just have to say, thank goodness there are actors all across the world who are happy to stand up in defense of our democracy without knowing a goddamn thing about anything. Just like our actors here. Decisions in other cases against Su Kyi are expected next week. The cases against her include the alleged unregistered import and use of walkie-talkies by her security guards, a violation of the Official Secrets Act, in which jailed Australian economist Sean Turnell is a co-defendant, and corruption charges. And those corruption charges tie directly to George Soros. The military says its takeover was lawful and not a coup because the 2008 constitution implemented under military rule allows it to take control in certain emergencies. It argues that the 2020 general election contained widespread irregularities and thus constituted such an emergency. The state election commission and independent observers have disputed that there was substantial fraud. Critics also assert that the takeover bypassed the legal process for declaring an emergency. And how could they? How could they bypass the legal process? I mean, all they did was try to take over the country by stealing an election. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and also the state election commission and independent observers have disputed that there was substantial fraud. Can we all see what this language is? This is the same language they use here. Now, Associated Press will not make the declarative statement that Sue Kyi actually did win the election. They're going to defer to the State Election Commission and independent observers. They don't actually go into the qualitative analysis of what actually happened, and neither do the media companies here. In fact, they want to make sure to never 
talk about any substantive claim of election fraud. They're just going to say that there's no proof. There's no evidence. These are baseless claims. Just like here, except for the thing is here, uh, there is actually some basis for the claims. And let's go to Wisconsin and check in with former Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman. He is doing the investigation into what happened in the 2020 election in Wisconsin. And it turns out there are a lot of big problems. And he describes them in an hour long hearing before the Wisconsin State Assembly Committee on Campaigns and Elections. And I want to play you the clips of him in the Q&A section these back and forths with the Democrats on the committee and listen to how the Democrats argue their case against him and listen to how he stands up for the truth. This is a model that will be eventually replicated all around the country. This shows you in stark contrast the difference between these clownish Democrats trying to attack and obfuscate and make sure the truth cannot come out and a person who is actually committed to the truth coming out. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, first of all, I just want to clear up the record that Democrats on this committee did not refuse to meet with you. We refused to meet with you in private. We said we would be happy to meet with you in public, noticing it and inviting people in to listen to what you were saying. So let's just clear that up. Okay? Well, let's clear it up, Representative Emerson, if you'd like to. Last time I was here, I issued an, a sincere invitation to you to have a cup of coffee with me, which you, I thought, sincerely accepted. I must have been mistaken because very rarely is an invitation for a cup of coffee impliedly a public event. If you had wanted to rent a public hall so people could watch us drink a cup of coffee, maybe you would have mentioned something at that time. But go ahead. I'm just saying that I have a hard time believing what's coming out of your investigation and that it's not. Tell me what you Excuse don't believe. Excuse me, I have the floor. Tell uh, me what you don't believe. Let's make sure that we treat each and other with respect. Make sure that you're telling Justice Gableman that because that was nothing but a bunch of disrespect him yelling at me. And um, if this is how this is going to go, I'm done. Well, I am asking you that you don't have to raise your voice in this community. He's the one that raised his voice first. Let's, let's be respectful and remember we have questions. Rep do you have any further questions, Representative? I have several questions. Thank you. Um, but I would like to yield for right now. Representative Spritzer, do you have a few questions? Okay. So the communist thought that she was going to be able to show up Michael Gableman and that he would just sit there silently as she reinterpreted what he had said in the last hearing. And I think I probably played that part for you in the episode I did on that. But he had offered to make time to sit down with her and run her through all of the evidence he was finding and give her answers to all of the legitimate questions she might have. What she just tried to do was make it look like he is running some nefarious secretive operation and make it seem like he believes he is unaccountable to the representatives of Wisconsin. She failed that spectacularly. 
She got upset because he asked her to tell him specifically, what don't you believe about my presentation? You're saying you find it hard to believe the things I'm saying, which means that you are calling me a liar or you doubt the evidence. So if you're not calling me a liar, tell me what evidence it is you doubt so that I can fill you in and erase those doubts because otherwise she's just calling him a liar. Now, Michael Gableman is not a stupid man. He seems to be of well above average intelligence. He was a former Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin. And there's no way that that communist on the assembly is going to fool him. He knows exactly what game she's playing and he chose not to back down. That right there, my friends, is the way you handle these communists. Now let's check out this other communist. And yeah, I'm saying communist a lot today because these people are communists and you can hear it with the way they operate. You'd like to ask? Yes. Thank you. I don't understand why it took until today to get the answers to a number of questions that were asked at the last committee and that uh, members of the press, members of the public have been asking, but I, I do appreciate you finally bringing these answers to us. When you talk, though, about wanting transparency from uh, the officials, uh, mayors and clerks, uh, it seems like they've been actually the ones asking for that transparency. And so I want to go back to the question we asked the last time you were before this committee. Are you willing to interview Mayor Genrick, Mayor Rhodes Conway in public and have the kind of transparency that you claim you're asking for and have them answer questions before the entire public of Wisconsin so that everybody can understand what their role was and what their answers to your questions are. You know, Mr. Spritzer, I'd be in a lot better position uh, to answer that question had it been posed by any of the mayors or any of the clerks of these five Zuckerberg cities or any of their numerous attorneys working on their behalf. For you see, those are all conditions that are commonly worked out between the parties themselves, not simply run and hide, turtle tuck, and stay silent. These are the kinds of conditions that the parties generally work out uh, by themselves. Now, you, you are asking whether that is my plan, and currently it is not. Well, I think that lack of transparency is concerning, um, but concerning. let me... Uh, may, I, may I ask, may I, and I apologize, but I just want to do a quick history lesson. We offered Mayor Gendrich the entire month of May, the entire month of May, to come on into this opportunity to explain many of these issues. We thought it would be the entire month and the, he told the press that he had made a date and that had never happened. So I, I just want to have a little history lesson about the opportunity that we had with at least Mayor Gendrich after he called the last opportunity in March a Stalinist show trial when you actually reach out to the mayor and say, we're inviting you in to hear your side of how these elections were held and we never heard back. So I will allow you to go forward with your next question, Representative. I want to turn to your staff, and I appreciate you sharing uh, the names of, of all but one of them. Um, but it, it does seem that that uh, paints some of the picture that, that my colleague, Rep. Emerson, 
was concerned about the last time you were before us in terms of are these people who have ties to either the Trump campaign or other other Trump entities, or are these people who were actively involved in trying to uh, change the results of the November 2020 election that you're investigating? And in particular, I want to ask you about uh, Mr. Hoyer, because uh, his group, the Wisconsin Voter Alliance, launched a failed lawsuit that tried to ignore the will of the voters and actually have the legislature uh, pick the Electoral College uh delegates uh, in 2020 for Wisconsin. And so given his role, given the role of uh, people like Andrew Kloster and his connections with the Trump organization, how can we take your investigation seriously? Don't we need, if, if you think the claims uh, that you're investigating are real, if you are serious about this, shouldn't we bring in somebody who is above partisanship, above reproach, and have them get to the bottom of us? Because Sure, I'm a partisan. I'm elected with a D after my name. Everybody up here, except for Ledge Council, is a partisan. But so are you. So are many of the people who work for you. So isn't this just a extension of partisan activities trying to gin up a political base for the next election more than a legitimate investigation of the last election? Okay. There's a lot there, Representative Sprites. Let me take it one at a time as I remember. My work and my employees will be judged by one thing, and that is the finished work product. And right now, what is preventing the finished work product is the fearful running and hiding of those government officials who do not want to be held accountable and who do not want to tell the public, what they did with the Zuckerberg money and why they did it. You were kind enough a minute ago. I'm not worth a phone call, but I guess I'm worth speeches disguised as questions. You shared with me your, quote, concern, end quote, Representative Spritzer. That's nice. I have a concern. And that is that after I have told you, after the nonpartisan Legislative Reference, Legislative Audit Bureau has told you that many broad, deep, systematic illegalities have continuously been conducted by the, the bureaucracy that's supposed to be in charge of overseeing the administrative, uh, administration of our elections. I've told you that. The Legislative Audit Bureau has told you that. News reports are full. They have told you that. WEC themselves has told you that they engaged in unlawful, illegal conduct. And now you're concerned about some hypothetical purity. Guess what, Mr. Spritzer? Pat Marley is, if he isn't here, he's listening. He and other liberal activists will soon be investigating every aspect, every detail of my employees' lives, professional lives. He will be reporting, no doubt, above the fold, everything about this. You will soon have all the answers to all of your purported concerns. When the real concern here, Mr. Spritzer, Representative Spritzer, the real concern here is, and I would think as someone who represents a district, your real concern would be, was the 2020 election 
rigged bipartisan efforts by government officials using public money to get out the vote for a particular candidate. That's my concern. I well, don't. If that's, if that's your concern, Mr. Gableman, the Legislative Audit Bureau came out with a report that despite having a number of recommendations of what we can do better in the future, came to a fundamental conclusion that overall the election was safe and secure. That was, that not, was not representative. Rigged. I am going to say those words did not come out of the audit committee. Well, they There's did a, come out of Senator Coles, who co-chairs the audit committee the, and is a Republican on your side of the aisle. And so I, I that is not what the audit committee said. As a matter of fact, when pressed on that issue, they made it entirely clear there is a clear difference between an audit and an investigation. We are now listening to an investigation that has a completely different set of process. Auditors are actually look at the information that the government has provided. An investigation requires people to come forward with information that they have. So do you have a further question? I, I do. Representative? Um, and, and my question gets to the heart of, of what the chair was just getting at, which is there is a huge distinction between looking at whether or not uh everything about the administration of an election went perfectly or whether anything should have been done differently or should be done differently in the future versus suggesting that that election was rigged or that the outcome should be overturned or should have been overturned at some earlier point. And it seems that you are firmly in the lane of suggesting that the outcome of the election should have been overturned. Now, I'm going to stop you right there, Mr. Spritzer. I'm not going to let you put words in my mouth for your cheap political advancement. You Stop hi- it. You I Mr. never Hoyer. said anything about overturning any election. You may- Stop making things up, Mark. Then why have you your, hired your Mr. constituents Hoyer. deserve better? Why so have you hired Mr. Hoyer? Hoyer? Shame on you. Why? Shame on you. Why have you hired Mr. Hoyer, who tried to overturn Mr. the will of the people of Wisconsin? Representative, I am asking you, do you have a further question? Yes. My question is, why do you feel it is appropriate to employ Mr. Hoyer, who specifically sued to overturn the will of the people of Wisconsin? Do you agree with him about that? All right. I'm going to, once again, you make a lengthy speech and then you wind up with a totally unrelated question. I'll get to Ron Hoyer in a second. But I'd first, like you to get to him now. Yeah, I listen. I had to listen to you. You're going to listen to me. You said two words. You falsely said that I mentioned two phrases that I never mentioned. First of all, My argument is not that the election was not perfectly run, Mr. Spritzer. I never said anything about perfect. I said, has it been? Well, all right. Let's really walk You suggested it's been rigged. Has it been rigged? And, And what do we mean by rigged? What I mean is, did government officials use corporate money, which was transformed into public money, in an effort to help one candidate, to help get out the vote in favor of one candidate. I'm not arguing anything about perfect. And you, again, you use the euphemism that the LA, and you misrepresent what the LAB report. It didn't say, oh, gee, there were some things we could have done differently or better. It may have said that, but the central thesis, which you are doing everything in your ability, to avoid is to say that WEC engaged in consistent and is still engaging to this day, Representative Spritzer, in illegal conduct, okay? 
Now let's get to the second phrase that you misrepresented what I said. I never said anything about overturning any election. That is not my interest. That is not my interest, Representative Spritzer, and I don't know where you got that from because the last time I was before this committee, I expressly said that the purpose of this investigation is not to overturn any election or to to make a change in the presidency. I expressly said I am unaware of any legal mechanism by which that could be accomplished. So I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate that you don't think Representative Ramthan's resolution is a legal mechanism, but you are nevertheless employing people who okay. tried to. If we're going to interrupt each other when we don't like what the other person is saying or when a stray thought occurs to each other, I can do that too. But now I'm going to get to where you wound up in the last five seconds of your lengthy speech disguised as a question, which is about Ron Hoyer. Ron, I believe, is the president. He's the president of the Wisconsin Voters Alliance. They have been behind a lot of litigation that has been very successful. I note that it wasn't you, Representative Spritzer, or any government official who went ahead to get open records, open records which citizens of this state are lawfully entitled to, which concern these government officials, their direct communications with CTCL, the representatives who had all of the Zuckerberg money to come to town with and dish out. That is my knowledge about what Ron Hoyer has been doing, looking into the communications and the open records and the emails concerning the transactions of CTCL coming to, coming to these five cities with all sorts of Zuckerberg money, with all sorts of strings attached. That's my knowledge about Mr. Hoyer, who is, by the way, a fine and honorable man. And my point is simply this, that... Do you have a you, point or a question? I do have a question. Okay. And, and, and we, we are down to the no, last 10 no. minutes, so... My, my question, Mr. Gableman, is if you wanted this investigation to have the appearance of legitimacy, if you wanted people to withhold judgment and wait for your final report, and then to have confidence in that final report. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't you have avoided hiring people who sued to try to change the outcome of the past election? Shouldn't you have avoided hiring people with direct tries, ties to the Trump organization? And frankly, shouldn't this investigation be headed up by somebody other than you? There has got to be some Republican in the state of Wisconsin, some Tommy Thompson type, that would be above reproach, that we would all, even the Democrats, say, you know what? We trust that that person is above board, that they may be a Republican, but they're out for the truth. And I don't trust that you're out for the truth. And I'm wondering why Mr. you haven't done more. Representative, to... uh, you are, are just disparaging the, the person who's coming today. And I, I don't know. Mr. That Gableman that... has disparaged himself by the people I... that he has put into this. Investigation. Madam Chair, I now ask that his comments be stricken from the record. This is beyond the pale. And I will pack up my books and go if this is how it's going to be. I will not be subject to Mr. Spritzer's lies and his, his frankly baseless accusations. That's not how this should go. You know better. Now, apologies for the long clip, but I love this guy. And some of the response I got the last time we discussed him makes me feel like enough of you love him too, to have enjoyed all of that. Now, you can see the tricks that are trying to be played by the communist on the committee. 
He wants everyone to believe that the investigative team should be filled with only people who are approved by the full establishment on both sides. He doesn't care what the facts are, doesn't care what the results will be, doesn't care that the results will represent reality in a truthful way. He only cares whether or not the people on the investigative team are able to be controlled by the communists. Michael Gableman has overwhelming evidence of multiple sorts of rigging in the Wisconsin election. And as you can hear, he is laser focused on Mark Zuckerberg and the Center for Tech and Civic Life and all of the millions of dollars they pumped into Wisconsin and Michigan, and Georgia and Arizona and Pennsylvania and elsewhere around the country to do exactly what he said they were doing, which is rigging elections. There is overwhelming proof in Wisconsin. There is overwhelming proof everywhere. This isn't a joke. This is someone who is finally standing up for the truth and saying it like it is. And these communists can try to grandstand all they like. This dude is not getting shaken by anything. Now, before I go, I want to highlight one more article. This is from this morning in Salon of all places, but it was posted to the uh, main page of Real Clear Politics. And they always each morning and evening update a series of headlines that kind of give you a, a wide swath view of what's happening in the news and politics today. So this piece is from Salon by a writer named John Queely, I think is probably how you say it. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren demand end to filibuster to save abortion rights. Senator Bernie Sanders on Saturday called it unacceptable to sit back and watch the Supreme Court end the right of women to access abortion care, saying that his colleagues in the Senate should act urgently to end the filibuster and codify into federal law the protections afforded by Roe versus Wade. The historic ruling now under the most severe threat since it was first decided in 1973. In an email to supporters, the independent Vermont senator and two-time presidential candidate said a final decision by the court to uphold a Mississippi law that would ban nearly all abortions at just 15 weeks of pregnancy would mean governments in many states. This is a quote, by the way, governments in many states would have the ability to make it virtually impossible for women to access an abortion, end quote. The truth is, despite overwhelming opposition from the American people, Sanders continued, there is a very strong chance that this conservative Supreme Court will vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, is there overwhelming opposition from the American people? The answer to that is no. The polling in general does vary a bit, but Gallup this year has it at 48%, the number of people who believe abortion should be legal only under certain circumstances. The numbers, of course, who believe it should be legal under any circumstances and all circumstances are far lower. You go down to 32 and then 19. So if these numbers can be trusted or these numbers are relatively representative of what the American public actually thinks, they don't even have a majority of people who support abortion with restrictions. The number of people who support abortion without any restrictions is microscopic. It's somehow even lower than the fake president's approval rating. 
This issue is also falsely represented in terms of men and women. The idea that's projected onto us by the media is that somehow all women want abortion all the time, everywhere. It's their feminist duty to support abortion rights and that men are the ones who don't want to do it. That turns out not to be true at all. The country is actually divided on the issue, and that includes women. So Bernie's claim that there is overwhelming opposition from the American people, that is dead wrong. Such an outcome is not acceptable, he said. We cannot sit back and allow the Supreme Court to put in jeopardy the privacy rights of all Americans and a woman's right to control her own body. Apparently, she is the only person with a body in the situation, and the fetus doesn't have a body, apparently even at 15 weeks. Warning that the consequences of Roe being overturned would be disastrous and threaten the very lives of American women. And that's not an exaggeration, Sanders said. The obvious new reality is that the courts can no longer be trusted to defend a woman's fundamental right to choose. And that is Salon with that propaganda. So Congress must act, he said. We must pass legislation that codifies Roe versus Wade as the law of the land in this country. And if there aren't 60 votes to do it, and there are not, we must reform the filibuster to pass it with 50 votes. And changing the system under which the Senate operates is what you do when you have an overwhelming majority of people supporting your position, but you nonetheless do not have an overwhelming majority of people who are elected to support your position as well. It is strange that such an overwhelming position is just so underrepresented, even in the party that steals elections. While the House in September passed the Women's Health Protection Act, Mostly along party lines, the Senate remains the only obstacle to establishing a federal law. In a tweet Saturday, Sanders suggested nobody in 2021 should accept the U.S. going backward on fundamental reproductive rights. His tweet, we can't go back to the days when women had to risk their lives to end an unwanted pregnancy. We must pass legislation that codifies Roe versus Wade as the law of the land. And if there aren't 60 votes to do it and there are not, we must reform the filibuster to pass it with 50. In his letter, Sanders said the history of the GOP attack on reproductive rights has not only been relentless for half a century, but their entire assault ranks as, quote, extraordinary hypocrisy. And I will spare you the letter, but you can go to the Salon article if you would like to read it. Earlier this week, following oral arguments Wednesday, as the Supreme Court heard the Mississippi case known as Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, Senator Elizabeth Warren was among the many who expressed alarm at indications that the right wing justices on the court are more than willing to gut the protections provided by Roe. Appearing on MSNBC later that evening, Warren said that if the high court does overturn Roe, there will be a run in GOP controlled states to destroy access to abortion completely. And it will be the poorest women in those states who are hardest hit. And thank goodness we have a committed lifelong socialist there to help out the poor people so successfully. The socialists always do such a good job of helping out the less fortunate. I mean, not, not in practice, at least, but at least in their speeches, they say it, they want it. That means it must be true. 
It's not going to fall on the women who have means, said Warren. It's not going to fall on the women who can buy a plane ticket and go to New York or Massachusetts or California. You know, the places that women go to shop for abortions. It's not going to fall on those women. It's going to fall on the women who are poor. It's going to fall on the women who already have children and can't leave. It's going to fall on women working three jobs. It's going to fall on young, young girls who have been molested and may not even know they're pregnant until deep into the pregnancy. That is who this will fall on. God, what a hero. Such an outcome, she continued, is not only taking away a woman's right to make a decision. This is taking away a woman's right to continue to build a future for herself. Asked if there was a legislative solution, Warren responded, it is a filibuster problem. Uh, no, it's a no one's going to help you problem. Like Sanders, Warren cited the existing Women's Health Protection Act that she said, quote, just says as a matter of federal law, the decision to continue a pregnancy is a woman's decision and nobody else's. We've gotten it through the House, said Warren. I believe we could pass it in the Senate, but we can't get 60 votes to get past a filibuster. This is one more time when we see the filibuster blocking the will of the majority. Of course, it isn't. You know, anything that enjoys support across this nation at the level of 70% to 80% is something we ought to be able to bring to the floor of the United States Senate and vote on it. Except that it doesn't represent 70 to 80%. And I just showed you that. The polling that I showed you is Gallup. It's not out of line with the other polling organizations. It is a 50-50 issue, roughly. And a lot of what you get on that issue involves how you ask the question. They portray all abortion as the same as certain outlier cases that are more likely to cause an emotional reaction for people. Rather than finding solutions for the outlier cases, they want abortion on demand in some places all the way up until the moment of birth. And we have heard Democrat politicians argue for that. And if you don't believe me, look up Ralph Northam, who remained governor of Virginia for a very long time after encouraging partial birth abortions and after being a guy who appeared in a Klan costume or blackface in his yearbook. But that's not a problem because he's a Democrat. And as a Democrat, you know that his heart must be in the right place. So beyond that, it really doesn't matter what he does in real life. He says the right things. He causes the emotional reactions. He plays to the party line and he repeats the slogans. That is all you have to do. If WMPA was passed, she added, quote, the rule of Roe would then be the rule, not just in Massachusetts or California or New York. It would be the rule across the country. We've got to get rid of the filibuster. Okay, so Salon has dutifully presented this as the critical human rights issue of our era. You have to make sure that women are allowed to get abortions whenever they want. You couldn't, for instance, with a 15-week limit, you couldn't actually expect women to regularly, once a month, take a pregnancy test if they are sexually active. It would be a truly undue burden to have women take a test like that that they can do at home so that they might know their pregnancy status and make their decisions within the allotted time period. You couldn't do that. Mandatory testing, forcing people to test for something that they probably don't have 
is just beyond the pale. We would never, ever, ever try to make anyone take forced medical tests for diseases or conditions that they probably don't have. Oh, except for the fact that they actually do that to everyone all the time and make them take COVID tests every two days. Oh, that is something that we actually do now. Oh, that's weird. Is a COVID test more invasive than peeing on a stick? Nah, turns out it is. Do they sell your COVID swabs so that the DNA can go in a database in China? Yes, they do. So that seems more invasive too. But yeah, my idea is crazy. That would fix the whole problem that they say they're concerned with. But it almost means when you think about it, that can't be the problem they're concerned with, can it? Huh? So what problem are they really concerned with? Seems to me like maybe they want abortions. Almost like there's a market for aborted fetal tissue. And it turns out there actually is that market. But even beyond that, how is the solution to this to end the filibuster? It almost makes you think that they want to end the filibuster so that they can pass whatever they want all the time and really tear down the constitutional order once and for all, because they simply don't have enough power to do the things they want to do, even though they have stolen all the power they could steal. And they're failing. They're failing in politics. They're failing in media. They are failing completely. People don't trust or believe them anymore. They want the filibuster to end because they want the filibuster to end. They are using abortion as the excuse because this is one of the rare issues where they still think they can make hay in the public, but it turns out they can't do it there either. And when this decision comes down and the revolt they're expecting does not happen and they don't see an uptick in approval and they don't see an uptick in the chances of them actually being able to maintain their grasp on power in November 2022, especially if we can fix the election problems, well, then that's kind of the end for them, isn't it? So what they need to do is get rid of the filibuster because that's the last chance they have. They are out of other chances. But hey, don't believe me. Just hope for the best. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app 
at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!